Good morning, guys. Thanks for being patient with the setup. It's a little bit different. They, they do the uh, little kids' elementary school graduation every year on this weekend. And so that's what the risers are for. Um, uh, Gabe and Miles made a joke that they were going to have the elders of the ministry sit here and watch you during service today as I preach just to cast judgment like the Pharisees, uh, the Pharisees of old. But we decided not to do that. It seemed inconvenient. Uh, it's, good, it's good to be with you guys. I'm excited about uh, what we've got in the Word today. And, and, and if Uriah is right, though, if you are feeling a little sleepy, um, you're going to have to get over that real fast because I've got, got a lot of ground to cover. And if you're not paying close attention, you might miss something really important. Um, we are in Acts. We're in Acts chapter 9. And we should be able to finish out Acts chapter 9 today. Uh, we've been moving uh, fairly quickly recently. We just went over uh, the life or the, uh, the uh, salvation of the Apostle Paul. And we talked about how he came to know Jesus Christ, right? The road to Damascus story. And then, uh, then we, from there, talked about how Paul um, proved out his faith to the early Christians. Okay, and so uh, obviously there was a lot of cynicism uh, concerning the, how genuine the Apostle Paul actually was in his conversion. And so people, uh, rightfully so, the apostles included, were a little bit cynical at first about his intentions, right? Uh, is this guy for real? Is what he's saying for real? Has he actually come to know Jesus Christ? And we talked about the marks of authentic faith. And we, we walk through all these things that we saw in Paul's life um, and things that we ought to recognize. Thing, there are things that we need to prove out as well in ministry. Okay, If we want to be seen among our peers, among our brethren, among our friends, among our fellowship, if we want to be seen as mature Christians, okay, then there are marks that should be true of our life. And so we went over those things. But, but today we're actually transitioning. Uh, we're transitioning to focus our attention on the Apostle Peter, okay? So for a moment here, it's like, uh, Acts plays a lot like a movie, right? And we've got one of those Star Wars hard swipes right here. You know what I'm talking about? Those hard transitions. And so we've got a hard transition here. We're going from Paul to Peter, and we're going to be talking about uh, Peter and his life this morning. Um, now let's, let's uh, briefly just talk about the setting. A, a few years have passed now since Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And, um, and so what we know about where we're at this moment is that the Christians are kind of on the run. They're being scattered about from Jerusalem out into the surrounding regions, and they're going preaching the gospel, and people are getting saved. Now, at the same time, uh, there's a leadership change in the Roman Empire. Okay, A man named Caligula comes into office and, around 37 A.D., and um, he begins oppressing the Jewish people. And because of that oppression, there's a moment in time that the gospel gets to flourish because the attention of the Jews is taken away from the Christians. All right, So there's this breathing room. And so we see the, the, the Apostle Paul begin to grow. We see the ministry of Peter begin to get extended out into other Gentile regions. And there's this, there's this moment of breath. Now that's temporary uh, because uh, there is more oppression to come. But in this moment, what we're going to do is we're going to pay very close attention to, we talked about the pattern of Paul. Now we're going to talk about the pattern of Peter's life, Peter's ministry. And so the title of today's message is The Perspective and Pattern of Peter. 
the perspective and pattern of Peter. We're going to be looking at the focus of his life, and we're going to look at his heart and how his perspective informed his pattern, okay? Uh, I had a conversation, oh, I guess it was like two and a half, three weeks ago, and a, a student of mine that I had at least somewhat west called me uh, uh, randomly. And uh, it's probably been six or seven years since I've, I had him in class. It's been a while since he graduated. And we were talking for a while, talked about the gospel, talked about different things. And one of the things that he mentioned to me was uh, uh, a story. He, he, he uh, retold a story that I didn't even remember um, about when uh, he was a senior in high school and he was getting ready to quit track. Okay? And... Um, he, he came to me, and he said, look, I'm thinking about, I'm not enjoying track. He probably, you know, the same excuses why any kid quits something in high school. I don't like the coach or, or you know, whatever, whatever it is. There's always the same excuses. And he came to me, and I think if I remember correctly, it was something to the effect of, uh, I'm tired of, you know, after school, I want to go, I want a job. I'm kind of tired of going and doing practice after school. I'm a senior. I'm not enjoying my senior year. I'm going to quit. And the way he told, retold me the story is that I, I told him, uh, this, is very, I, this is wiser than I anticipated I would have been, right? Uh, but I told him, look, if you make a habit of quitting things now as a, as a high school student, then you are going to be setting the pattern of your life for things to be optional. You're, you're, if you don't see things through now, you're going to not see things through over and over and over again. Right? This is going to become your perspective is going to inform the pattern of your life. And his point to me was that, that if he wishes he would have heeded that advice, he quit track. And, and listen, year after year has passed. And he, he's, he was, when he called me, he was in between jobs. Uh, he had just quit a job. And he recognized that he's never really ever committed in, to, any, to anything. And it's because, not because that the pattern is necessarily wrong, it's because his perspective is wrong. And the perspective informs the pattern. Your perspective on life has everything to do with the pattern that you establish. If you don't have the right intellectual and emotional view of your reality, there is a strong chance that your actions will prove over and over again to be dysfunctional. Okay, on the flip side of that though, if you gain God's perspective then the pattern of your life will exude blessing and honor. And so the key is learning God's perspective, and the pattern will come out right. So today we'll look at Peter's perspective. I pray that God would use it to establish uh, healthy patterns in our life. Let's pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for the people that are here. I, I pray for all the graduations that are going on right now. I know a lot of people are preparing for graduation uh, parties, and they're actually, like, Seth is at graduation right now, probably walking across the stage. Um, but there are people who, who've got that kind of stuff going on this weekend. Lord, I pray for them. Be with them. Uh, for anyone who's not here, for whatever reason, Lord, we love them. God, we pray that you would continue to bind our ministry together, that our relationships would be uh, harmonized, that we would love one, each other, one another, that we would be willing to sacrifice for each other. Um, Lord, we, we can never grow slack in our relationships. And Lord, help us to realize what it is that we have in one another as a family and as a ministry and, uh, and, and continue to honor that by giving ourselves, giving ourselves that the overflow of our life would be poured into others. Uh, help that to be true of us. Lord, help us to see uh, your perspective this morning uh, and so that we can establish patterns for our life that would help other people 
uh, be informed about how to move forward in their faith. Uh, use us to be an example. And Lord, use us to be a blessing uh, for your namesake, for your glory in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, let's start real quick uh, by discussing the uh, pattern of Peter's ministry. He had a strategy in mind. He had a strategy in mind that he employed. And it goes something like this. First, travel to a city. Okay, so what we see here, remember how we talked about the apostles were kind of staying close to Jerusalem, right? They were staying close to Jerusalem while the other believers were scattering. For some reason, the apostles were staying close to Jerusalem. We see that beginning to change here as the gospel begins to open up to other regions. And so what we see is Peter take on this idea that, okay, I'm going to travel and do these short-term missions trips to other regions and other cities. And so the first thing we see Peter doing is we see him traveling to other cities. And then the next thing he does is he goes and he finds the most sickly and well-known person in the community. In other words, he's asking around and he's seeking to find who everyone knows has been sick and has been sick for years. Then the next thing he does is he goes and he heals them. He heals them. Okay, now listen to me. When we talk about healing, we've got a weird perspective on healing today, because what we see in so many churches today, all right, uh, we, we, we watch TV, we turn on, uh, uh, what is it, CBN, TBN, we turn on the TBN, and uh, you, can, you can tell that I don't watch it, um, and we see Benny Hinn, okay, and we see guys that are doing healings, that's not what we're talking about, see, listen to me, Peter's healing was instantaneous, and it was provable for the whole community to see. Everyone saw it. Everyone recognized what had been done. There was no antics. There was no progressive healing. Okay, there's this common thing in, in, in many churches where they believe in, that these uh, gifts are progressive. They'll say, they'll say that, that God um, healed the, the length of my leg. I had one leg that was shorter, and God healed it. And over time, my legs have actually grown to be even. Okay, this is very common healing, all right, if you know anything about this, is the healing of leg length is apparently fairly, is a, there's a greater need in the world uh, than we realize about the leg healings. Uh, but so look, listen, there's, there's no progressive healings. These are instantaneous healings. There's no showmanship. Peter doesn't desire to bring any attention to himself. There's no slaying in the spirit. He doesn't take his suit coat off and swing it around and hit people with it. People aren't falling to the ground, right? Okay, there's no slaying in the spirit. That's not in the Bible. There were no special offerings being taken up after the special healings. Now listen, he healed people instantaneously. It was provable, and he did it in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he would simply preach the gospel because his business was not to bring attention to himself. His business was souls, his souls. And this is the pattern that we're going to see. So let's start in verse 32 and read. It says, and it came to pass as Peter passed throughout all the quarters. He's traveling. He came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. And all that dwelt at Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. Let's take a moment here to talk about apostolic gifts real quick. Okay, let's, let's talk about this. It's time. We've come this far in Acts. It's time to, to carve out a moment to talk about apostolic gifting. We know that Peter had the gift of healing as an apostle, right? He had the gift. 
the apostles were unique in that they could perform sign gifts. And this included miracles, healings, speaking in tongues, and interpretations of tongues. You understand? This is what they did. They could do this. Right? Now, we see this. We already saw it in Peter and John. Remember, in Acts chapter 3, they heal the lame man. Remember, there's a certain lame man. He's begging outside of the temple. He's seeking for alms, and they go to him, and they speak truth to him. They hold out their hand. They heal the man, and he goes about rejoicing in the temple. See, this was part of what God had called them to do. Signs and wonders to validate the gospel, to let the people know that the apostles, they all spoke the truth of the Lord. So, so the gifts were intended to prove out that these were messengers from God. Otherwise, how would anyone know that these weren't just another cult group, another group of crazies, another group of people that are, that are uh, uh, um, seeking to gain attention and notoriety? How would we know except for the gifting? And so it was necessary. Okay, so listen to me. Mark chapter 16, verse 20 says, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. That's what they did. So, in other words, the miracles were intended to confirm the gospel in them. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 says, How shall we escape? Uh, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which the first, okay, speaking about the early church, early on in ministry, at the, at the first began to speak by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, also bearing them witness both by signs and wonders and with divers, divers meaning diverse miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Okay, in other words, we performed. Remember that? Remember when we were performing the signs and the wonders in order to confirm the gospel? That's what he's saying here. So while, while there were others in the early church that could do these sign gifts, we only ever see them performed by apostles or those who were or immediately ordained by the apostles to do so. So in the, in the narrative of Scripture and the historical content of Scripture itself, we only ever see apostles performing these types of gifts, okay, in the stories, in the narrative of Scripture, or those that were in immediate contact and ordained by the apostles to do so. Are you with me so far? Okay? So ultimately, it was the apostles that exemplified uh, these gifts with, with, with consistency. All right? Now, the Bible talks about these gifts ceasing. They, there's gonna, there's, Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians that these gifts will at some point, point cease. There's no, look, there's, there's no doubt about it. That's what Scripture says. At some point, these gifts will cease. Okay, now here's the deal. The debate surrounds when. That's what the debate surrounds. Okay, when do they cease? Okay, so listen. According to Scripture, I want to present this to you briefly because we have other things to cover this morning. The inscripturation or the completion of God's word is the moment in which the sign gifts were no longer necessary. Okay, when, when, the, when Revelation, the book of Revelation was penned by John and he, his death marked the last apostleship, there would be no more writing of Scripture. There would be no more writing of Scripture. Scripture would be done. It would be completed. Okay, and John talks about this explicitly as he finishes out that book. He says that the, the Word of God is not to be added to. He recognizes, I am the last apostle. 
This is the prophetic word, and it is time that the, the word of God ceased. We are closing the, the, the end on the inscripturation of God's word. Okay? 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says, in, in context of the gifts, of all of the sign gifts, charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Okay, so let's talk about that. The promise here is that when that which is perfect, okay, meaning complete, that word perfect means complete. When that which is perfect is come, that which is in part or partial will cease. Okay, so listen to me. If the gifts, which is the context here, if the gifts here are partial, they're partial, and they're fleeting, you understand? So they're, do, they're, they're doing the sign gifts with the intention of what? What do, they, what do the sign gifts do? They bring about the revelation of God's word, right? What they want to do is they want to support the revelation of God's word, and that's what the sign gifts do. And so listen to me. If the sign gifts are just a partial revelation, of God's word, then the thing that is perfect and complete is the full revelation of God's word. It's very, very simple logic. If we just look at what the sign gifts were for, what they affirmed, okay, the fact that they were to support the revelation of God's word, then we know that when we're talking about that which is perfect shall come. The context is the end of revelation, the end of inscripturation. The word of God that would extinguish the need for that which was in part. Think about it this way. The apostolic gift's original role was to make way for the revelation of God's word. It's only logical to conclude that with the completion of God's word that the sign gifts would be rendered unnecessary. They were a redundancy and that they would cease. Okay, now we can see this in Paul's life. Am I, is this boring? Some of you are like, this isn't inspirational enough. All this... Doctrine, save it for LFBI, okay? I ain't there yet. All right? Okay, listen listen to me. This is important for us to understand, okay? Because if we don't understand this, then it leaves room for revelation that there is no accountability for. And I say revelation, I put it in quotes. In other words, a, a man or a woman of God can speak any sort of prophetic word, and we have to regard it as the word of God. We have to be very, very careful. The apostolic gifts were for a certain time period in which signs and wonders proved out the nature of the gospel. Now, we can see this in Paul's life. Paul was an apostle, correct? Okay, Paul was an apostle. Paul had apostolic gifts, correct? Yes. Okay, so Paul's ministry exemplifies what we're talking about here. While in the book of Acts we see Paul exhibiting gifts of healing, okay, God gave him the grace to heal this crippled man in Lystra. Okay, I'm gonna, there's going to be a list here. It's going to go real fast. All right? This is available to you online. You can get this PowerPoint later. Paul heals a man in Lystra. Okay? Then he goes to Ephesus and he heals many people in Acts chapter 19. He heals a demonized girl in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. And, and he heals Eutychus when he was take, uh, taken up from the dead. He resurrects Eutychus after he fell out of the window. Remember that story? He falls out of the window. Paul's preaching is really boring, apparently. And the man falls asleep in an upper balcony window, and he falls to his death. Have you heard this story before? It's amazing. The man's listening to Paul. Paul's going on. It talks about he goes late into the night preaching, a lot like what you guys are enduring right now. 
And he falls, the man, Eutychus, he falls from the window and he falls to the ground and he dies. And then Paul goes and resurrects him from the dead. Pretty crazy, huh? Good story. Good story. All right. So Paul has these gifts, correct? Okay, but, but by the time we get to the Paul, Paul's late ministry, we find he could not heal himself of the thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 9. Or from the ailment that, that he had when he preached in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. He couldn't heal Timothy from his stomach ailments in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Or Epaphroditus from his life-threatening illnesses in Philippians chapter 2, 26 through 27. Or, uh, or Tro, uh, Trophimus, uh, whom uh, they left ill in Miletus. They had to leave him sick. He couldn't come with them in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In other words, as the gospel became, the revelation began to go forth. What we see that's implied here is that the gifts that the, even the Apostle Paul had began to progressively cease. Does this make sense? And by the time we get to John uh, and the finish of the completed word of God, uh, we see that, that the, a cessation has taken place. Okay? Cool? But here's the point. Here's the inspiring part. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, what it's referring to is the gifts of healing and miracles. It doesn't say anything about healing and miracles ceasing. Only the gifts. And so here's my point to you. We should not for one moment believe that God is no longer in the business of healing and doing miracles. God is in the business of healing people and doing miracles. And many of us have witnessed that in the context of our own congregation. But listen to me. It no longer comes by the hands of the apostles, but by the prayers of the saints. Key point number one. As long as the church has prayer, then there will always be miracles and healing. As long as the church has prayer, there will always be miracles and healing. We've seen people, and listen, I, I, you know, it's funny talking about this. In my flesh, I, I, I want to be careful not to mislead. But in my spirit, I want to pronounce to you that we have watched and seen people healed from cancer in the last year, twice. In my spirit, I, I am bold enough to tell you, I have watched people healed from all sorts and types of illnesses because of, because of prayer. I've seen it. And James chapter 5, verse 13 says, in any, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. That's the instruction, isn't it? Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing songs, uh, psalms. If any, sing, uh, uh, sorry, if any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and he, ha uh, and he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So listen to me. Here's my point. If we desire the sick to be made whole, if we desire for the spiritually sick to find their Redeemer, in other words, if we desire for people who are not saved to become saved, then there's only one thing that we ought to do. Pray. We ought to pray. We ought to pray. This is why our church has a prayer meeting on Tuesday nights. This is why we do that. This is why we're doing prayer after prayer 
on Tuesday nights is so that we can focus our attention on those who are spiritually sick. Spiritually, they have, they've, 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 the, the prognosis has come in. And there is only one diagnosis for their prognosis, and that's salvation. There is only one way to heal, heal this illness, and it's through salvation in Jesus Christ. And, and we, as nurses of the gospel, have no capacity to heal. Only the great physician can do it. And so it is our responsibility to assist the great physician through the power of the Holy Spirit in prayer, to call on him and to beckon him to work. This is our responsibility. Are you hearing me? We need to pray. Okay, now let's, let's look closer at Peter and get a snapshot of his life. Let's discuss the recipe for inviting God's use into our life. Peter understood something, okay? He had a perspective. And so let's talk first about Peter's focus. Let's talk about how Peter was used to heal people physically but also spiritually. Verse 32, it says, And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. Now listen, notice first and foremost that Peter is active. He's active. He's going about from all quarters. In other words, he's passing from city to city. He's not in Jerusalem, is he? He's not hiding out, is he? Are there death threats? Yes. Is he hiding? No. He's active. He's moving. See, many Christians today wonder why their, their life, their, their spiritual life is lacking. Why they're not seeing fruit. See, they run into these moments of serious discouragement because they haven't engaged in, in the work of the ministry. I mean, this is most Christians. You understand that? Most Christians today, and this was me for most of my Christianity, I would go to church and the church would tell me, look, we want to equip you. We want to help build your character. They would maybe even use word, words like, we want to disciple you. Okay, and what that really meant is that they wanted to, to encourage me in God's word, but it didn't mean deployment. And that's the problem. See, what happens is you can get fed all day long, but all it leads to, unless you exercise, is getting fat and lazy. And you can get spiritually fat and lazy. And so you can go to church, and you can be fed, and you can benefit from being belly up at the table, and yet never have any purpose whatsoever and no way of burning that energy. And most churches today, they're, they're, they're completely comfortable and they're equipped to feed, but they aren't equipped to deploy. And so what you have is pews full of people who are sitting and they're telling themselves, man, this is a lot of fun. I love church. But then they say to themselves, wait a second, what am I doing though? I've been handing out these bulletins at the front door for like seven years now and, and I'm, I have never led anyone to Christ. I've never invested in anyone. I've never started a Bible study. I've never led anything. I've never gone out on a missions trip. I've never been a missionary as a lifestyle. And you know what? The funny thing is, they, they, they don't even, people, so many people, and, I, and I'm, I'm saying this from my own personal perspective, from when I was a churchgoer. I didn't understand. I knew I loved Jesus, but I didn't understand what it was all about. 
until someone showed me how to engage. And, and, and when I learned to do that, it changed everything. And so what I want to do, I, I want to explain to you, is that Peter chose to be engaged. He chose to be engaged. You know, many of you have heard this old saying, um, and I'm not even sure where it originates, but whenever we have a saying around here, whenever we have a saying we don't know where it comes from, we just attribute it to Alan Shelby. Okay, Pastor Alan Shelby. So I, I'm just going gonna, gonna to attribute it to him. But, but, what, but we, what we know is we know this, this old saying. It says, it's impossible to steer a parked car. You ever heard that before? You can't steer a parked car, can you? And like people are like thinking, I don't even know how to drive. <laughs> Some of you need to take the licensing thing a little more seriously. So the, in other words, if the car is not moving, it becomes exceptionally difficult to move those tires left and right. In fact, it's a vain activity. But if you can even just slightly put the, put the pedal down, just slightly, and let the gas, well, I don't even know anything about engines. I was about to talk about engines like pistons moving and stings and fires. And then and the, car, and the car begins to move forward, maybe five miles an hour at first, maybe ten. But listen to me, listen to me. Pretty soon you're cruising, you're cruising. Now see, here's the Peter thing that Peter understood, is that no one could get saved. He couldn't reach the lost until he started engaging in ministry. How could God possibly use him if he wasn't serving? Okay, so key point number two. Any minister who desires to be used will be found busy serving. You want God to use you? Well, then get to work. You're not going to do it from the comfort of your pew or these chairs. Okay? You're not gonna, it's not going to happen there. It's going to happen as you choose to serve, as you choose to engage. That's how it's going to happen. So you'll go from a person who's saying to yourself, I don't know how to be used. I don't know what it is that God wants for me. I know that I love Jesus, but I've been coming here for a while, and I don't know how to be used. Okay, start by serving. Start real simple. Ask around. There's a lot to do. Any life that desires God's control, God's miraculous hand, God's blessing will begin with faithfulness to move forward, even in the simplest of service. Got it? Next, Peter was focused on Christ. He was focused on Christ. Verse 34 says, And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. See, listen, our ministry ambitions need to be Christ-centered. You want to be used? Stop talking about you and your stuff. And start talking about Christ and his stuff. We're real good at talking about our stuff. What about Christ's stuff? What about, what about proclaiming his name? What about glorifying him? What about being about his work? See, Peter was focused on Jesus Christ. And our preoccupation must constantly be checked, doesn't it? What are you preoccupied with? Ask, what is it? Ask yourself, what is it that you focus your attention on? And maybe that thing needs to be checked. If Peter was anything like some of us, he would have been quick to steal God's credit for his own namesake. Peter would have been like, look at the thing that I just did. But he didn't do that, did he? Look at the thing that God's using me to do. 
He would be blowing his own trumpet, but he wasn't. He was focusing on Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, Peter says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It was his perspective that produced the pattern. Peter knew that there was no healing outside of Jesus Christ, and so he was quick to proclaim the authority of Jesus and his name. Key point number three, any minister who desires to be used will focus on the glorification of, of Christ. That will be a habit of the way that you talk. You do a little service, you glorify God's name. That will be the habit. That'll be the habit. We'll see that in your life. I heard a... Uh, uh, um, Brian Clark say that um, in teaching actually this content, he said that, um, that, that if, if on your list of priorities, God is a number four, then guess what? You're going to be a number four in terms of blessing on his list. But if Christ is number one on your priority list, guess what? You're going to be right there at the top. When he's ready to bless and to, and to give authority and power, he's going to give it right through you. Man, powerful. Three, Peter was focused on healing. And inspirationally, spiritually, we can understand for us, in our dispensation, that means souls. Souls. He said to the man, Arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. And all that dwelt at Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. Peter has an agenda, guys. Peter has an agenda for healing. And we ought to have an agenda too. We need an agenda to heal every needy soul for the glory of God. That has to be our agenda. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 says, For though I be free from all men, this is Paul talking, the Apostle Paul, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Jump down to verse 22, he says, To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all, thing, I made all things to all men that I might by all means, save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. See, the Apostle Paul knew that his primary objective was to save some. He knew that true healing could only come through the reception of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. See, listen, here is Paul's pattern. Okay, we can learn this doctrinally from Paul. Okay? Doctrinally from Paul, what we recognize is that we put ourselves in situations where we could be used in the life of other people. We make ourselves like other people. We become chameleons in our environments. We, we go and we, with, the, with the, the idea that we need to be a part. If I've got to take on a culture, I'll take on a culture. If I've got to take on an identity, I'll take on an identity. I'll eat whatever you tell me to eat. I'll be what you tell me to be. As long as I can glorify Jesus Christ and I can preach the gospel to you, that some might be saved. So what we hear from Paul, we see exemplified and patterned in the perspective of Peter. It is by Peter's example and Paul's doctrine that leads us to seek the lost, providing them the anecdote for their sin, key point number four. Any minister who desires to be used will focus on the healing of people's souls. That's the focus. 
That's what I'm thinking about. That's what I'm daydreaming about. That's what I'm praying about. My heart is a kingdom heart. My desire is to replenish the kingdom of Christ. That's my heart desire. It's my perspective, and it informs my pattern. So here's the question is, do you have a ministry pattern? A pattern of service, a pattern of glorifying God, a pattern of soul winning. Do you? And if you do, that pattern will grow stronger and stronger. Verse 36, let's look at Peter's heart. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. Unfortunate, but true. This was my, this was my go-to this, this go name when I was like in first grade, right? Like in the early 90s, it was very common to call someone a Dorcas. I always spelt it D-O-R-K-U-S, but apparently I, I was misinformed doctrinally on how to, okay? Um, this woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. She did good works in the church. She was beloved. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, uh, they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. So this woman, Tabitha, I'm going to refer to her as Tabitha, mainly just to, you know, keep her integrity, okay? Uh, Tabitha died. And, and for as much as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men desiring that he would not delay to come to them. Okay, so from the text, it's not entirely uh, clear if the people of Joppa anticipated Peter would do anything for their dead friend. We don't see that here. We can't, we can't necessarily say to ourselves, well, they thought Peter could resurrect her from the dead, and so they went, went to get him. It doesn't tell us that. Okay? Perhaps they knew that he was in Lydda and, and, and was near enough to attend and even officiate the funeral. Oh, hey, did you hear that Peter, he's in Lydda. He's not far from here. Let's go fetch him so that he can come back and, and perform uh, the, the funeral for this dear saint. We don't really know what their intention was from the passage. But it can be implied. It can be implied that perhaps their hope was that Peter may have the ability to resurrect their friend. Hence the urgency of their travel. That, are you with me? Does that make sense? So, so to me, their speed tells us that these people had a dead person in their house. And rather than burying her, they sent for Peter with the hope that he could help them. We could apply that from this passage. Now, there's three things that they're, that they're going to get Peter tells us. Okay? The first thing is that Tabitha was greatly loved. I mean, it isn't every day that people go to get an apostle to come resurrect their friend from the dead. You know what I mean? That's not a common thing that people do. I mean, we don't see a whole lot of that going on. It occasionally happens, but it's not common. People die, people go to heaven. Hey, so-and-so went to heaven. Yay, they're with Jesus, and everything is cool. Okay, but in this case, we can see that Tabitha was greatly loved. The other thing that we see is that the disciples in Joppa had great faith. Faith that God could resurrect the dead. That is, if that was what their intent was. Right? That's a great faith. That's a great faith. Now, with that said, with that said, 
if they, they knew the reputation of Jesus, by extension, they knew the reputation of the apostles, by extension. And they'd heard what Jesus had done. Jesus had resurrected the dead. He had done that. And in fact, Jesus, the Son of God, resurrected himself from the dead. And so, by extension, perhaps the apostles have that same gifting. Now listen to me. I want to point something out to you. And for those of you who are students of the Bible, you might appreciate this. See, they knew what dispensation they were in. They knew their dispensation. They knew that things like this were happening. And so they embraced it, and they lived in their dispensation. Why can't we embrace ours? Just some food for thought. Why do we want to rob someone else's dispensation? Why do we want to take acts and steal that away from the apostolic age and apply it to what we've got when what we've got is so much better? The finished word of God. Let's take what God gave us and run with that. Let's run with that. So listen, Peter's heartless to go. So they show up and they ask him to come with them and they do it quickly. Now imagine how busy Peter is in this season of life. Imagine for a moment. The doors of the gospel are wide open to the Jews and the Gentiles. And Peter was understood to be the leader of the Jewish church. He was understood to be that. And so his time and energy was likely in high demand, wouldn't you think? There were probably lots of people begging for him to come and visit them. See, he's in charge of the operations of the church. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's traveling and establishing churches. He's overseeing the needs of the disciples, overseeing and delegating to the deacons. But listen, verse 39, it says what? What does it say? Peter arose and went with them. So powerful. See, with all of that, with all of that busyness, Peter made himself available. Because he had a heart to meet the needs of people. Key point number five, a mature minister is never too busy to meet the, the pressing needs of others. Now sometimes needs have to be put off because they can be. Because they can be. But the mature minister, the one that has the heart of God, when a pressing need comes, they're ready to respond. See, he could have said, look, this old lady's dead. And she was great. We loved her, right? Oh, that's nice. Uh, she lived a good life, and now she's with Jesus. Let's focus on the living. Let's focus on what we've got to do. But no, no, upon their request, his heart was enlarged and responsive. He responded with swiftness. They said, come quickly. He arose and he went. He didn't allow his prestige or his busyness to interfere with pressing works of ministry. And would that be our perspective and our pattern? Ministers of the gospel, leaders in Kaya, leaders at MBT, listen to me. Don't ever put your title, position, or busyness ahead of the pressing need of people who need healing. Next, Peter's heart was to listen. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with him. See, Dorcas, Tabitha, she was a garment maker. And you, I don't know if you've ever seen these like quilting circles, right? these women that get together and they, they make quilts. This, this is like a thing. This is a thing. Right? This is like a, a long-standing tradition, even here in America. Where the elder women, okay, in this case the widows, the women whose husbands have long passed, they gather together and they, and they like to sew and make things. And so Tabitha made garments 
And her friends gathered together, holding these garments that she made. And they celebrate her life. And when Peter gets there, they're showing him Now, I don't know about you, like, my, my grandfather passed, <clears throat> it's been like five or six years now, and um, when I see my grandmother, the first thing that she always wants to do is show me pictures. She wants to remember, you know, that's her heart, is to remember what was lost. Now, I, I want to point something out to you, and this really cuts me, this is where the greatest conviction in this message is for me. Peter listened. He wasn't put out. He listened. He patiently listened as they pulled out garment after garment, each one holding a memory. And he was willing to enter into their pain the same way Christ did when the people of Bethany mourned the death of Lazarus. John eleven thirty one 31 says, the Jews then which were with her in the house and, and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up and hastily went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother, brother being Lazarus, my brother had not died. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And they said, they said the Jews, behold how he loved him. And so just like Jesus, Peter's heart was to empathize with those in pain. He sought to empathize with them. See, Peter... Peter is a man of the people, and he loves souls, and he shows us this love and how he responds to their sadness. It says in verse 40, But Peter put them all forth, meaning the garments, and kneeled down and prayed. You understand what that's saying? He takes the garments. He doesn't know this woman. He lays them down before him. And he enters into their grief by kneeling on them to pray. Think about that, what that would have meant to those people. And I wonder, I wonder if we minister to people that way. I wonder if our heart has that kind of charity. Key point number six, a mature minister desires to listen and to empathize in order to understand. See, understanding is important. God values understanding. We see that all throughout Scripture, the significance in the Psalms of the word understanding. And when people hurt and they grieve, Jesus Christ models for us entering into their grief. And, and, and Peter does the same thing right here. I pray that I would learn how to do this. He enters their grief. He lays the garments down. 
And he kneels on them to pray. And then in verse 40, we see Peter's heart was for life. His heart was for life. His heart was to listen, and then his heart was for life. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed. And turning him to the body, said, sorry, Tabitha, arise. And she opened up her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Consider this parallel between Christ's healing uh, of Jairus' daughter. I don't know if you know this story. Mark chapter 3, sorry, I don't have the chapter here. I don't know why I didn't write it down. Does it say up there? Yeah, it's the same there. I believe that this is Mark chapter, oh, I'll let you guys search it out later. I'm going to read the story. And he came, uh, and he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was coming, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? Okay, so what we have here is a leader of the temple, a man named Jairus, whose daughter was, was dying and then, and then did die. Okay, she died. Why make ye this ado and weep, he says to them. The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. They laughed at Jesus. But when he had, had put them all out, in other words, he asked them all to leave the room. They're laughing at him, doesn't bother him. He's like, yeah, 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 just go out. You go out, and I will do my thing. You go do your thing, you know, whatever that is that you do, okay? And I will do my thing, the thing that I do. But when he put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered, entereth in uh, where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumi, which is being interpreted damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. And Peter takes that same thing that he saw Jesus do, and he employs that. Okay, imagine for a second, Peter enters into this room where Tabitha's body is laid. He clears the room out, just as Jesus had done. Peter kneels beside the garments, okay, and he faces away from the body, and he begins to pray, full of faith. Then he turns to the body, and he says, Tabitha, arise. Imagine how she woke up, okay? You can imagine, just for a second. Her eyes may be flittering like she's coming out of sleep. She lifts her head. She looks around. It's as though she had never even been ill. In this moment, Peter would have truly known that God was for the salvation of mankind. In that moment, in the resurrection, look, Peter had never resurrected someone before. In that moment, he knew in his heart that Jesus Christ was for the salvation of mankind. So much so that he was willing to raise people from the dead. God had no obligation to do that, but he did. And then he presents her alive. Key point number seven, a mature minister sees the world in terms of life and death. Do you see the world that way? Do you see the world in terms of life and death? When you meet people, when you get to know people, do you think about them in terms of their eternal position with God? Whether or not they're destined for heaven or hell, do you think that way? Do you consider the power and the significance of life and healing 
and the redemption of the soul? Is that the way you see people? Because if you do, that will inform the pattern of your life. A mature minister sees the world in terms of life and death. I'm going to speed up here. Okay, you ready? Okay. Peter's heart was for the lost. Verse 42, and it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Key point number eight. Look how fast that came. (laughs) A mature minister exploits every opportunity to share the gospel. Every opportunity. See, a mature minister has his game face on at all times. I mean, some of y'all don't have the game face. I mean, you've got the late night, I've been gaming, I've been cotting it up. Late at night, playing the zombie edition. Some of you have got that game face. Coming to class. Hey, Mr. Briscoe. What are we doing today in class? Like, you've been... You've been doing the cod, haven't you? Yes. Okay. But no, listen, a mature minister exploits every opportunity to share the gospel. Listen, forever scheming for souls. Just saying. That's, that's it. That's it for me. I'm always just scheming for souls. Okay? You might not read it that way. But, I, but listen, I love the souls of people, so much. And I can't tell you how that happened to me, to be honest with you, okay? Uh, maybe it was some of the things that God in my, did in my life in terms of suffering and difficulty, death I saw from an early age. I could, I could say, oh, God did this to me, and he made me to be this type of person. But I'll tell you this. The moment that the Holy Spirit entered into your life, he made you to care for souls so greatly that all you want to do is scheme for souls. That's all you want to do. That's all I want to do. That's all I want to do. No matter what my profession, my vocation, my station in life, I'm only doing one thing. I'm scheming and plotting that some might be saved. And that's what a mature minister does. That's how they think. That's their mind. It's their focus. Peter's heart, listen to me, this one's a powerful one. Peter's heart transcended boundaries, and this is our last thing. Verse 43, after the healing, after many believe, souls come to Christ. People are saved. Joppa is forever changed because of this moment. He healed this woman, and then he has the the liberty and the, the ability to preach the gospel. Souls are saved. Verse 43, and it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon a tanner. Okay, good. Turn the page, right? Isn't that how we think? No, listen to me. This final note is actually of great importance. Peter a Jew, stayed with Simon, whose profession was a tanner. In other words, his trade was to work with leather. His trade was to work with dead animals. Okay, now for us, I just don't like dead animals. They're kind of stinky. I don't want want any part of that. I don't want to stay with Simon. Uh, Is there somebody else, a place available? Because I'm tired, right? That would be me. No, Peter stays with, with Simon, And as a Jew, Peter should have avoided anyone who handled dead animals because it would have been understood culturally as a spiritually unclean profession. I don't know if you've ever read Leviticus. It's a tough read. I don't blame you if you haven't. Leviticus chapter 11. No, you should read Leviticus. I'm not not suggesting you shouldn't read Leviticus. You should read Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 11 talks about how the Jews 
could not handle dead animals. And you weren't allowed to go to worship if you had. If you'd been in proximity or handled dead animals, you had to, you had to be cleaned. And it took a whole day to do this cleaning process. Okay, now Peter, who is saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and is now dead to the law, enters into this man's home. And he stays with him. And this shows us his care for souls. This tells us, this is a huge step towards preparing Peter and his future work, but mainly what it tells us is that he loves souls so much that he doesn't have any bias against anyone. Okay, so key point number nine. A mature minister doesn't see people in worldly terms. Okay, now what do I mean by that? Ethnicity, sex, religion, nationality, immigration status, cultural predilection. This is what I'm talking about. These are worldly terms. These are physical, material terms. These are things that we can see with our eyes, things that we can experience physically in terms of sense. But these are things that do not exist to God. These are things that he puts away. So listen, a mature minister doesn't see people in worldly terms. He just sees souls. He sees souls. I see a soul. I see a tanner. I see a woman. I see a man. I see a black person. I see a white pe person. I see a brown person. I see someone who likes this kind of music. I see someone who likes that kind of music. I see someone who wears that kind of clothes, this kind of clothes. But that really doesn't mean anything to me. What means something to me is that they are a living, breathing soul, and God has a plan for their life. That is what I see. That is the way I live. That is the way I function. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. See, souls, just like Sam said earlier, souls are the precious stones of a spiritual economy. Souls are the precious stones of a spiritual economy. And we would be wise to be jealous for the things that God is jealous for. In so doing, we will put aside all forms of bias. What's your bias? What gets in the way of you ministering the way that you should? What gets in the way of you seeing souls the way God does? In conclusion, much like Paul provides us with an example, Peter provides us with an example of how to ready ourselves for God's use. Listen to me. Let's go through the list, and let's ask ourselves, where do we stand? See, Peter was prone to serve the church, and so should we be. Peter was prone to glorify God, and so should we be. Peter was prone to preach the gospel, and so should we be. Peter was never too busy for people, and the same should be true of us. Peter listened, and he empathized with people's pain, and we should too. Peter saw the world in terms of life and death, and we should too. Peter uses every opportunity to see souls saved, and we should too. Peter refused his natural bias to minister life to people, and we should too. This is certainly an area presented among all of these qualities. There's got to be an area. There's certainly an area in your life where you fall short on this list. See, we'll never be perfect, but we must constantly and continually be pressing into the mold of perfection, and it looks like this. Let's not make any excuses for our ministry or our faith or our life. Let's get the right focus. Let's get the right heart. And let's get God to take care of the rest. Shall